If you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, you might be picking up. I caught a little bug. I uh, traveled last week, uh, got in one of those tubes that flies at multi-thousands of feet in the air and breathed the same air that everybody else was putting out. And all my efforts to wipe all the armrests down, that's my little routine, wipe my little uh, tray down, you know, so that I don't touch anything. Somehow, some of you people are carrying germs, and you gave them to me, so... I'll be out on the patio sharing those with you after the service for anybody that wants to be a part of that. It doesn't matter to us where you're coming from. You're welcome. Uh, You're welcome here because, you know, any, all, none of us are perfect and anything's possible because of Jesus Christ. So thank you for coming here today, whether you're a Sunridge person, you're a guest, or you're just checking us out online. We're so glad uh, that we get to be a part of this process in your life of uh, moving you closer to God and uh, finding your purpose, you know, under his kingdom. Um, uh, There's a guy named Bryant Myers that I've been reading uh, of late with this series, and he's a professor at uh, Fuller Seminary, and he spent over 30 years uh, working with poverty around the world, and uh, he's a professor of transformational development at Fuller And uh, on the topic that we're going to be looking at today, he's written this. Poverty is the result of relationships that do not work, that are not just, that are not for life, that are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absence of shalom in all its meaning. If you're new to Sunridge, we've been in a series we're calling Made Whole. And what we've been doing is looking at the holistic nature of the gospel. And, you know, we've discovered that we're wholly broken, and it takes a whole gospel to make us new again. Uh, we've been basically at the 10,000-foot level up till today. You know, we've looked at how the, you know, the unique perspective Christianity brings to uh, how the world was supposed to be, how it was designed to be, and then we looked at how it ended up, how it ended up being so broken. And then last week, uh, Jed did such a great job of... Uh, you know, bring us into a, another understanding that the gospel isn't just this little, you know, I trade my sin for Jesus' blood, and now I'm good, I have my ticket to heaven, that God desires to bring his kingdom to earth. There are many things that God wants to change in the world, beginning with our hearts. But today we're going to kind of get down to where the rubber meets the road, and uh, we're going to be granular for the next three weeks. We're going to talk about poverty today, obviously, and next week I'm going to talk about race, and then the week after that we're going to talk about religion and how all of these things, um, in all these areas, we're experiencing the brokenness that happened in original sin. It's affecting all of us, and so you know, because these are like big things, you know, they're like issues that we, we wrestle with, and we don't have all the answers, right? I'm not going to give you the answer today to poverty. You're not going to walk out of here and go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to call the president and tell him we got it all handled. Um, you know, they're big issues, and they're complex, and they're challenging, and because of that, they're controversial. So what I want to ask of you today is uh, uh, keep an open mind, whether you're a Christian or not. Let's, let's, let's come to the scripture with open hearts and open minds. And, and by that I mean, let's, let's lay aside as best we can our biases and what, you know, our, some of our hardened positions on these things. And let's, let's discover for the first time or kind of rediscover some of the essential 
ways that the gospel can speak to the biggest issues of our day. And, uh, you know, look, I'm your pastor. If you go here, you know, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that's the job I've been given. And I, so I'm not here to, like, talk from the mountaintop and shout at everybody. I'm, what I'm sharing with you today comes out of my own struggle and, and the things that God is teaching me. And so I don't want you to get the idea that, like, you know, I'm, you know, all that in a bag of chips and I got it all dialed, you know. I'm wrestling with these things. And I, I think in the end, that's what I really hope that we can do today, all of us who name the name of Jesus as our Lord, that we'll, we'll engage at such a level that we'll let God nudge us in ways that previously maybe we weren't open to. It's interesting that the most vivid description that Jesus gave of hell came in a story he told that, that brought together poverty and our brokenness and how they're related. And in Luke 16, verse 19, I'm going to be reading from the message version. It's a paraphr paraphrase, not a direct translation. But it reads so well as far as the, the way the story flows. Here's what he said. There was once a rich man expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. A poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. And all he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. Now, right away in the story, we're introduced to two people whose lives cannot be more different. They're not, in their difference in wealth, one is rich, one is, you know, tragically poor, that, that's only the beginning of their differences. They're clothed differently. The rich man has the latest fashions, and Lazarus is clothed in rags and in sores, in a way. How they arrived in this neighborhood is totally different. The rich man has obviously either, either purchased this house or, uh, or built it himself. And Luke describes uh, Lazarus just being dumped there. Their, their, their uh, daily life is so different. The rich man is consuming at an excessive rate. And Lazarus is trying to survive off scraps. And the, the circles that they run in are totally different. The rich man is powerful. He runs in all the right circles. And Luke says that uh, the only friends Lazarus had was a pack of dogs. And, of course, all the dog people said, amen. You know, I love that. We know who you dog people are. But their earthly situation is only the beginning of their differences. In verse 22 Lazarus dies, this poor man, and he was taken up by the angels to the lap of Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap. And he called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. I'm in agony in this fire. So in eternity... You have this picture where Lazarus is in the lap of Abraham, the, the patriarch of the Jewish tradition, and the rich man is in hell. Is, is Jesus saying that all rich people go to hell and the poor people go to heaven? No, he's not saying that. It, but it, there's something much bigger going on than just the surface of this story. In verse 25, Abraham uh, says, Child, 
remember to, to Lazarus, remember that, or into the rich to the rich man. Child, remember that in your lifetime you got the good things, and Lazarus the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled, and you're tor- tormented. Besides, in all these matters, there's a huge chasm set between us, so that no one can go from us, uh, from us to you, even if he wanted to. Nor can anyone cross over from you to us. It's almost like in this story, the, the rich man gets what he essentially wanted in the end anyway, is to be separated from God. And the only difference between those of us who want to be separate from God in this world and in, the, in eternal life is that in this world, there is still an influence of godliness here. There's still a goodness in this world because of God's presence through his people, through his spirit. But in hell, there is no influence. And so anything that we experience here that seems godless is exacerbated in this godless place. And it seems like what Jesus is saying here is not, it isn't about rich or poor, that that there's some way in eternity, that God is making some things just that weren't just here. And he's also calling into account, in some way, people who inflicted injustice in the world. And again, we don't know the whole story of why the rich man ends up in hell. But the rich man still doesn't understand the program. In verse 27, he says, Let me ask you, Father, send him to the house of my father where I have five brothers so that he can tell them the score. And warned them so that they won't end up here in this place of torment. Abraham answered, they have Moses and the prophets to tell them the score. Let them listen to them. I know, Father Abraham, he said, but they're not listening. If someone came back to them from the dead, they would change their ways. And then Abraham replies, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced by someone who rises from the dead. There's almost like this, uh, this hardening against hearing the truth in people. That it really wouldn't matter even if someone came back from the dead and explained it to them. Now, all parables, all stories that Jesus told, or any, any story, <clears throat> has its inherent limitations, right? I mean, we tell a story to illustrate a point, but there's a, there, you, know, you can extrapolate it out to a place where you know, it begins to break down. So this isn't, like a theological dissertation on the afterlife. But what Jesus is doing here is he's using the Pharisees' understanding of the afterlife to teach this lesson that he wants them to learn. But there are some things that are noteworthy that come out of this story. First of all, uh, we see that Jesus acknowledges that heaven and hell exist. We also see that heaven is infinitely better and hell is infinitely worse than we could ever imagine. And then we see that after death, identity, memory, and recognition are still intact. But more to the point, why is Jesus telling this story? What is he trying to get at? I mean, wholeness is obviously broken here. But who really is broken? See, the key here is to place ourselves in the rich man's neighborhood, which wouldn't we all love to do? But I don't mean it that way. I mean like living in that context without the knowledge of this story. 
if, if we lived in this neighborhood, what conclusions would we draw about who's broken and who needs to be made whole? If it were me, I would readily see that Lazarus was broken. It's obvious. He's homeless. He smells. He's unsightly. He's disgusting. His dogs are likely leaving excrement all over the sidewalk. So who really wants him there? Nobody does. We can all relate to that. You see, Lazarus's poverty is obvious. He suffers from a lack of material goods. And when, someone, when someone's poverty is expressed in a lack of material goods, then their deficiency is obvious. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us how he ended up in this situation, but it's pretty easy to just extrapolate out. I mean, people end up in this situation the same way today as they did 2,000 years ago. It could either be his fault or no fault of his own. It could be his own fault by the, cho the choices that he's made. He could have had a dependency issue or an addiction issue. He could have made a series of really bad financial decisions and bankrupted himself and had nowhere to turn to. Maybe he's burned all of his bridges with his family and friends in that way, and they just, they're giving up on him, and they can't help him. Maybe he's just lazy, and he's never applied himself, or maybe he never took responsibility for his life. Those are all possibilities. But it, he could have also ended up in this situation in, in many ways, no fault of his own. He could have gotten ill, either mentally or physically. And you know, at that time, there's, there's no social net to catch him. Um, he could, you know, he was, people lived in that day in a very biased economic system. It was a caste system, and you didn't rise above where you were born. So what, you know, he could have been living on the edge for a long time, and finally something happened, and it left him homeless. Maybe he never had role models. Maybe he was born into a legacy of poverty. It's possible that he's a refugee and coming from a different area, escaping whatever he was escaping, he's landed in this place and he, he hasn't found welcome or he hasn't been able to adjust and adapt and get his legs underneath him. He was just dumped in this location. There are a lot of reasons why people end up in material poverty. And each one of them are evidences of our own brokenness, the brokenness of our relationships. In this series, we've been talking about how the fall of Adam and Eve, our sin, uh, not, it didn't just break our relationship with God. It broke our relationship with creation. We suffer broken relationships with others, and we suffer the brokenness of self. But when you read this story, it's not... Lazarus that Jesus is really trying to bring out in the story. It's not his brokenness. The story reveals a lot about the rich man. You see, Lazarus suffers the poverty of the down and out. But the rich man suffers the poverty of the up and in. It's the same disease, but with a different manifestation. The rich man's poverty is less obvious. 
He suffers from a poverty of being. That's a phrase that we've learned in, well, in When Helping Hurts. The reason why I say he suffers a poverty of being, three, three things I want to look at. First of all, um, because he cannot see his own God-given potential. You know, when we look at the Lazarus types, we say, what a waste. What a waste. But in the story that Jesus tells in verse 19, he says, there was once a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashions, wasting his days. He was wasting his days. So if we had the eyes of God in this situation, we would look at this highly successful together person and we would say, what a waste. He doesn't see the potential that God has given him. And this is a much bigger issue than how much he dropped into Lazarus's cup outside of his home. He may have been even satisfied knowing that his scraps went to him. But it's obvious in this story that Jesus is calling out his failure to see his potential to change something. The rich man failed to connect his wealth with the opportunity that was right in front of him. And as a result, there's a hardness that, that's in his heart. And because of that, there's there's an easy neglect of his responsibility. The story indicates that the rich man had a responsibility in Lazarus's condition. I told you I was gonna challenge you today, right? I know that for some of you right now, that just like, it's like I'm like scraping my nails on a chalkboard. But this is why Jesus is telling the story. By the way, fault and responsibility are not the same thing, right? Because it's, it's easy for us to look at our situation today and say, well, whatever's happening in the world, poverty, that's not my fault. It may not be our fault, but Christian, we have a responsibility. We have an opportunity the fact that the rich man does not see this opportunity and his potential is a manifestation of his brokenness. Paul, when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 6.18, he says that we have resources, God-given resources to help others. He said, command them, the rich, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. What Paul is saying is that all of us have a resource. And, and I want you to see as we go through uh, this message today that it's more than financial. We're not talking about just throwing money at people. We've been doing that for centuries, and it hasn't fixed anything. But we cannot escape that that might be part of it. Let's just let that rest on us for a second. That, see, God blesses us not just so that we can experience the goodness and blessing of God, but there's also opportunity in that blessing. 
and it extends far beyond just finances. What, what do we have? What is your potential? Maybe you have great wealth and you could do something with it. Maybe you have experiences or you have, an ed, you have education or you have a home or you have a car. You know, we all have resources. And I think what we have to wrestle with, like why, why do I have this? Whatever it is, and it's different for us. Why do I have this thing? And what good can it bring in the world today? Secondly, um, the rich man experiences a lack of wholeness in that he cannot see the material poor as people. He cannot see the materially poor as people. And keep in mind, he walked by Lazarus every day. But one of the things that is part of our brokenness between one another is when something makes us uncomfortable, we fail to see those people that are making us uncomfortable as human beings. Our brokenness causes us to, to detach from people and to dehumanize them. So that when there are the big issues going on in the world, I'm uncomfortable to wrestle with the idea that I might have potential to be part of that, but I also want to put it out of my mind. We don't see people, we see their philosophy, we see their lifestyle, we see their beliefs or their traditions, we see the choices that they've made, we see the color of their skin, we see their religion. This man Lazarus sat outside of the rich man's home day in and day out. And it appears that he really doesn't see him for the first time until the afterlife. Maybe there's some clarity that comes when we get on the other side of this world, when we look back and, we, and we're going to... We're going to see things that we didn't see. Paul talked about how we see through a glass darkly in our relationship with God. And one day we'll see Jesus as he is, and that will be wondrous. But I wonder what it will be like to look back on our lives and see the people and the things that we either didn't see or we put out of our sight. This story that Jesus tells, the, the parable of Lazarus, seems to be a real story, not a made-up one. And it's the only story that Jesus used the character's actual name in. He is Lazarus. The poor have a name. Every person born in this planet, whether they've made bad choices or they've experienced, you know, broken systems, they are a child of God and they are made in the image of God. And just the way I look at how God, I want to continue to look at the way God looks at me, God looks at that person the same way. Lazarus has no voice. No one, no one can speak for him in this world. And yet in the afterlife, Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish tradition, speaks for him. There's something in that. You know, maybe the rich man's heart wasn't hardened. Maybe it was just overwhelmed. Don't, can, don't sometimes you just feel overwhelmed at it all? I mean, you turn on the news, social media. I mean, it's inescapable what's going on in the world and the brokenness in, in regard specifically to poverty. And it just pretty soon we adapt out of it. We don't even see it. Uh, I know I've mentioned to you before that I used to be a fireman. But um, 
if you're new here, I just want to point that out, that I used to be a fireman. And, um, <clears throat> you know, every station I learned throughout my career, it's like it has its own noise. And, I, you know, and stations, fire stations are noisy places, not with the alarms going off and the equipment that we have. But, like, there's just a lot of noise. It's not just a bunch of men or women either, you know, just making noises. It's like, there's noise in the, in, the, uh, in the neighborhood. I've been in stations where roosters were crawling all the time. I've been in stations that were near a place where ch the train depot, they changed all the cars around. It's ka -kang, ka -kang. I've been uh, next to the freeway where that freeway noise, <coughs> excuse me. And what I noticed is like I had two ways of dealing with those noises. One, I, I, started, get, I started bringing two pillows with me, one for my head and one to put over my head to block out the station noise. And you know, you didn't need to worry that the alarm would levitate you out of bed. It would make it through my pillow, but it would kind of like, you know, deafen out some of that. It was the early Bose uh, earphones, you know. You, I could have just, I'm going too far with that. Um, uh, but then also I learned that I adapted to those noises so that I wouldn't hear them after a while. It just became part of the white noise of where I was. And I think uh, when, we, when, we, when we have to wrestle with the materially poor, we do one of those two things. We either try to like drown it out or eventually we adapt to it. You know, this is one thing that's so unique about Jesus as the son of God is that he never adapted. He never tuned it out. I say that because Matthew uh, says in Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And you think of like, every, you know, if you study the life of Jesus, everything that was pulling at him, his human side, yet he never tuned it out. And he never became adapted to it so that he could ignore it. And even, even as he looked at the crowd with everything else he had going on, it still, it pulled at his heart. And I think that there's something in that, that when, when people, when problems become people, we're moved by them. But as long as the problems are separate from being a human being, a put, we can't put a, as long as we don't, can't put a face to that problem, it's easy to dispense with it. It's easy to like, you know, like rant on it. But if that, if that poverty person or that, that person of a different religion or different lifestyle, if you have that person in your family or it's a loved one, you know, you know it's easy like with drug addiction to say, you know, with the opioid uh, crisis in, the, in this country today, it's easy to just go, you know, like, man, what's with all these drug addicts? Get your act together, blah, blah, blah. If you have a family member that's hooked on prescription drugs or is a heroin addict, it means a whole different thing because you have a face with that issue. And that's something that Jesus never stopped doing. He always saw problems connected to people. And, in, in, and so in the Gospels, we have Jesus modeling something for us. This soul-to-soul -soul connection. Then in our humanness and our brokenness, it's easy to lose it. Look, this isn't about success guilt this message. And again, like, I'm, I'm not the guy on the mountaintop shouting 
of what everyone should do. I have this same thing in my life. And, you know, years of like emergency calls and everything, I, I, I'm hard. I have a hard heart. I can tune it out. I can compartmentalize very easily. And um, yet, as Christians, we have to see people. There's faces with poverty. You know, I know, I know like this is making you super uncomfortable. If it's not, then you're not listening, so wake up. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know what I want to say? I want to say, you know, uh, look, I can't save the world. But, you know, what's interesting here is, is Lazarus is on the rich man's doorstep, right? So it's not about saving the world. It's more about asking, who's on our doorstep? Lastly, the rich man, uh, it's obvious, that, or less obvious that he's broken, but he's still broken because he lives a life segregated from the materially poor. Not only can dispense them out of his sight, but he's, he's constructed a life that prevents them from being a part of his life. And this is just part of our brokenness. That from the very beginning, again, you know, you see with original sin in Genesis, you see Cain murdering his brother. You see people categorizing themselves, categorizing others. And that category lets us, it's not just a column for people to dwell in and for me to have my column. Those columns are walls that we build between ourselves. The afterlife that we see in Jesus' story is almost a, uh, an, an image of this separation. In verse 26, besides in all these matters, there's a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you, even if he wanted to, nor can anyone cross over from you to us, Abraham says to the rich man. It's like, isn't this what you really wanted? You wanted a life separate from this, except on this side, it means something so much more. It means something entirely different. The truth is that all of us, rich or poor, whatever our differences are, we benefit from one another when we're connected to each other. But it's so easy for us to segregate ourselves. You know, if the gospel does anything, it breaks down these barriers. Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And look, Paul is saying that these categories that you have, these traditions between your religions, between your gender, between your economic status, these are all things that separated you before. And what I'm telling you, Paul says, is you are all, all one in Christ Jesus. Put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in the early church where these people did not mix and now they're all piled together in this thing called the church. Someone once said the church is a lot like an elevator. It's a group of people who are heading in a direction that other than that direction, they would have no reason to congregate. 
And sometimes church is just like the elevator in that we don't want to look at each other, right? Isn't that what you, you don't look around in the elevator. That's creepy when you start looking at people. They think you're an axe murderer or something. I like to cough a lot in there and like, just to see what happens. But church is like that. Our community is like that. Like we just want to like keep, keep these walls of separation. And I wish that what I could say is when you become a Christian, that's totally redeemed. That, but that's not the case. You know that by experience. And, and we know it by what, the fact that Paul has to address it. I mean, Paul writes letters to churches that he established to deal with issues. Why does he need to tell Christians, hey, you know all those things that separated you before? You need to, you need to let those walls drop because you're all one in Christ. Because this, this capacity to be inclusive is, is something that God redeems over time if we allow it. To be honest, I've been a Christian since 1972, and I'd say only in the last few years have I really begin, begun to discover some of these things about myself, the way I've walled people off and built my safe little spaces. In the beginning, I, talked about, I, I gave you this quote about how poverty is a result of broken relationships. It is. But the solution is in reconciling those relationships. And the solution begins in reconciling our relationship with God. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. It starts with the transformation of my soul. If you're here today and you've, you've never stepped across the line of faith, I have good news for you. The good news is that there's no, nothing that you've done in the past that can keep you separate from God. You don't have a sin too big. And the other good news is, for those of you that are trying to be good all the time, you can never be good enough to have God's acceptance. You don't earn God's acceptance. It's a gift given from him through faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we all stand on even ground. If you're not a Christian, I would just challenge you, encourage you, nudge you to just stop. And in the quietness of your seat in this moment, just acknowledge that you're broken before God. And ask Christ to take over. And if you're a Christian... I want you to see the rest of that verse where he says that he has committed to us, that is the Christians, the message of reconciliation. We have experienced something that's totally life-changing from the inside out. Paul says that when you become a Christian, you are a new creation. And that begins to work in us. And the changes it makes is it, it makes us more like Christ. And when we're more like Jesus, we start to live life like Jesus. Now, I know that uh, some Christians would say, well, the whole answer to poverty is just become a Christian. It's like you receive the gospel, but you know, there's a lot of poor Christians in the world. And if, and if the whole deal for the church was just to get you to say a prayer 
or to, uh, to receive Christ, if that was the whole story, then Jesus would have come to the earth. He would have said, I'm here, I'm dying today, and then I'm out of here, and I'll save your soul. But Jesus modeled something for us that is part of the redemptive work that he's doing in the world today. And he modeled a life that cared for people who were broken materially and broken in self. That includes all of us. And we as the church, those of us who name the name of Jesus, we have been given this work. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And that, that means sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. But it also means, and listen to me, I know that I've challenged you today, and I did it on purpose. I'm not apologizing, but I, here's what, you've got to wrestle with this, Christian. We all do. We have, to, we have to think deeply about why we're here. Because the world is nuts. And, and they don't have the answers. And I think that it's been easy for the Christian community, the, 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 evangel the, the evangelical community, to just back away and do our gospel thing. But I'm telling you, we have the answer. And we have to engage in the world from a gospel perspective, from what Christ has done in us, and we have to go out. And I don't have that answer. Like, you're not going to get to go do this, okay? This, we are all living with this. You have someone on your doorstep, someone in your life, and the thing we have to wrestle with is what does God want us to do with that? Let's pray.